Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has revealed yourself um, to your creation, to your creatures, through uh, your word, um, through your prophets and apostles. And thank you that we have your word to read and, and hear you speak. We pray that you would speak not only to our brains, uh, but uh, the message that we hear uh, would penetrate our hearts, that you would change us uh, by the deep truths uh, that it contains. And so we pray that uh, that would be for your glory and, uh, and for our uh, ultimate joy. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Jonah. Good morning. Uh, as Steve mentioned, there's two Bible readings today. Uh, the first one is from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, and the second reading is from First Thess- Thessalonians, uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through to 10. Uh, but Matthew 28, 16 through to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for you all and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how, he li- you know how we lived among you for your sake, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with a joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in the Lord has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thanks, Jonah. Let's pray together before we start, friends. If you'd like to join me, I'm going to pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come here today. Lord, uh, we've come from many different backgrounds with many things going on in our own lives. Um, But we pray today as we gather as your people, uh, Father, that your word would strike home into our hearts, that it wouldn't just be a word that we hear for each one of us, Lord, wherever we're at. Please take this word and plant it deeply in our hearts 
so that it might bear fruit for your glory and for the saving of many people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, you might not know uh, this group of people. There's no, um, uh, no sort of prizes if you do, but you might not know who they are. They are an exclusive club at Yale University in the US. They're called the Order of Skull and Bones. Anyone ever heard of the Order of Skull and Bones? No, uh, it's one of the oldest secret societies in the <laughs> United States. That's right, they're pirates. Uh, it was founded in 1832, and its membership is open only to an elite few. Uh, the members meet every Thursday and Sunday of each week in a building that they call the tomb. Okay, sort of shrouded in mystery, and uh, it's one of a long history of secret societies um, from maybe one that you're more familiar with, the Freemasons with their secret handshakes, well, not so secret, uh, to the powerful Illuminati who, depending on how much you go in for conspiracy theories, either run the world or they died out 200 years ago. You know, so, uh, but it's a long history of secret societies. There's something about us, isn't there, that kind of loves being on the inner, on the inside. Being on the inside, there's... Uh, something about us that loves being set apart from everyone else, kind of in the exclusive club that no one else, well, that, that some other people are in, but most others aren't in. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, just fantastic, incredible uh, uh, book, he, he, or a, a, a series of uh, lectures and talks he gave called The Weight of Glory, this is a collection of his essays, in one of them called The Inner Ring, this chapter called The Inner Ring, he calls this the quest for the inner ring. Uh, the existence of inner rings, C.S. Lewis says, is it's just part of life. It's just a part of life. There's the existence of them, they're not sort of good or bad. You can have just, on one level, it's just a reality that you can't have the same sort of relationship with everyone all the time, right? So you have sort of inner rings in life, that's okay. But Lewis is talking about something deeper. He's talking about our desire for the inner ring, our longing to be on the inside, uh, our desire, longing to enter in, and our anguish when we don't make the cuts. Uh, or maybe on the other side, the kind of little burst of pleasure we get when we get in, when we do get in. And when this desire takes over, it is an ugly thing. Lewis writes, of all the passions, this passion for the inner ring is the most skillful in making a man who is not yet very bad into a... Uh, sorry, I'll say that again. This passion for the inner ring is most skillful in making a man who, who is not yet a very bad man to do very bad things. Uh, these inner rings, for Lewis, they, uh, they exist to shut out others, to exclude other people. He writes, there'd be no fun if there were no outsiders... Right? The invisible line would have no meaning unless it meant unless most people were on the wrong side of it. Exclusion is no accident for the inner ringers. It is the essence. It is the essence. Well, whether you're a part of a secret society or not, uh, where this desire for yeah, I don't know if that sort of rings true for you, this desire to be kind of on the inner, it kind of maybe works on that sort of a level, but it works on every human level, doesn't it? This desire to be sort of on the inner and 
to exclude others. Well, friends, contrast that. Oh, here we go. Here's some inner rings for you. (laughs) Contrast that, friends, with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, One churchman a a fair while ago said this famous quote that gets uh, said a lot. Maybe you've heard of it. He, He made the claim that the church is the only cooperative society which exists for the benefits of its non-members. For the benefits of its non-members. In general, you know, you can kind of toss back and forth how accurate that is, but in general, that quote is getting at something quite significant, isn't it? Human gatherings and societies, we kind of have an inbuilt, inward focus on our own members. And, you know, on one level, there's... Uh, That's a natural thing. But the church of Jesus exists for the benefit of non-members. Friends, we're in the the middle of a series looking at the church. What is uh, this community that God has brought us into? The church, the gathering of his people under the lordship of Christ. What it means to belong to his body. And there is, isn't there... There is a danger of kind of falling into inner ringism when we think about the church. Our relationships, our relationships with each other are absolutely critical. They are critical. And next week we're going to spend a whole week looking at um, the way in which the gospel shapes us as a community to love each other, to love each other in incredible ways as Christ has loved us. It is important how we treat each other, but... We mustn't ever become so inward-looking, so concerned with doing church, right, Uh, that we forget what is at the heart of the gospel, the outward-going, costly love of God. To be an inner-ringish Christian really is not to be Christian at all. Or, uh, in the very measured and, you know, typically measured uh, calm words of Martin Luther who incidentally, yesterday, famous, you know, very um, uh, big day in our calendar, right? Reformation Day. Yes, Reformation Day, 31st of October. That's not what you were thinking, was it? But uh, the day when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the Wittenberg church door and started the Reformation. Anyway, talk to me about it later. But uh, in his typically measured kind of calm way, Luther writes this. Um, He says, The kingdom is... The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. And he who does not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but with the devout people. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? Wow. Wow. As I said, typically sort of calm and measured Luther there. Uh, but what a point he makes. Well, friends, we, as I said, we're looking at this week what it means for us as a church community to uh, exist in all the relationships we are in. Last week we saw about growing up in maturity uh, in, in our knowledge and love of God. This, and this week we turn to this question of the Christian, the church's relationship to the world, to the world outside. 
Uh, last week, we saw that the church is a creature of the word. I get, we're on, you know, obviously on a bit of a Luther hit because we talked about Luther last week again, remember? He talked about the Christian organ being the ear. We are hearers. We are hearers. We are creatures of the word. This message of the gospel, this message that Jesus is God become flesh, come into his world, who died to pay the penalty we deserve for our rebellion against God, uh, who rose again as the Lord of a new creation and who offers forgiveness and new life to everyone who would put their trust in him, in his name. This word is our life. We never move past it. And growing up in maturity as a Christian is growing deeper and deeper in that word, that word of the gospel of free grace, of forgiveness, and letting it shape us more and more. But as, we, as you read through the, the New Testament story of this word, uh, it just is, it's an explosive word, right? It is an explosive word that goes out. Uh, we read that. Uh, the first reading that we, which we won't spend a long time on uh, from Matthew 28, but a really critical part uh, of the New Testament where after Jesus has died and risen again, he kind of gives his last words to his disciples, uh, the, the famous Great Commission, right? And he says to them to go into all the world, to go uh, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all I have uh, commanded you. From the start, do you see there, this word is an outward-going, an explosive word. It's an outward-focused word, a word that it, it can't be bottled up and kept in secret by a few um, exclusive people locked up in the tomb at Yale University, right? It can't, it is, it can't be kept in secret. It's not a word for an exclusive few. The risen Lord tells his disciples to go into every nation, to make disciples of every nation, to carry this word of the gospel out to the whole world. And that's exactly what you see in Acts, right? The, 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 the Acts of the Apostles, that great history of the early church, is exactly what you see. The gospel spreads from uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Uh, it, it, goes, it, it goes out and you get to the end of the story of Acts and it just is, there's no end in sight. It's just exploding, right? this message of Jesus. It's exactly what you get in Acts, these apostles, these first witnesses taking this message out. Um, but when you get to Acts 17, there's a Acts 17, if you, if you want to flick there, you can, uh, or sort of make a note of it, Acts 17, well, you hear how uh, one of the, uh, the apostles, the apostle Paul, uh, he, he took this message out to a place called Thessalonica or Thessalonica or however you pronounce it, Thessalonica, uh, which was a major Roman city, uh, sort of a port trading city. Um, and Paul took this message to Thessalonica and this, a new church began. We read in Acts 17 that some of the Jews there and as well as a large number of God-fearing Greeks uh, and quite a few prominent women were persuaded by Paul that his message about Jesus was true, really was true, that Jesus uh, was God's promised Messiah, his anointed king, uh, who had to suffer and rise from the dead. 
Um, the story of Acts sort of goes on. Paul leaves Thessalonica. He's sort of driven out from there. He, he goes on. He moves on to, to Athens. Uh, but not long after he was there and started this church, uh, not long, he, he, his reports of, you know, you always get this sense of Paul. He's always, he's got his finger in every pie. He's che- checking up on all the churches. He hears reports from this church in Thessalonica. Um, and he hears good things, and he writes this letter of one Thessalonians. He writes this letter to this new growing church who have had this word explode out to them and transform them. It is not only an explosive word, it's a transforming word. And that's what we find when we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, which we'll sort of spend a bit of time in um, before we wrap things up. Uh, 1 Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles open, it's probably going to help. Uh, there's also a bit of an outline in the leaflet that might help you as well. But 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, and you read in, in verse 2 there, after he's introduced himself, Paul is always giving thanks to God for this little group of believers in Jesus in, the, in Thessalonica. He's always giving thanks to God for them because... Uh, He has heard this report about how the word of the gospel has transformed them, has changed them. Verse 3 that we read earlier, we remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. Uh, This word has given them faith, faith which kind of looks back, right? It looks back into the past at what has been done, at the events of Jesus' death and resurrection. It gave them a, 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 an anchor for their soul. It gave them something to put their trust in, something that had been done and completed. But they also had this, based on that, they had a future hope that gave them endurance and that inspired uh, lives of love in the present. It had, it, it, you get this sense of, this word coming to the Thessalonians and totally changing everything about them. A kind of whole of life transformation. It wasn't just a nice set of ideas to believe or a good story about someone or you know, a kind of interesting theological um, debate to be had. This word had turned their lives upside down. They'd been grounded in the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. Something to rest in and put their trust in and the certain future of his return. So Paul gives thanks to them, but the question is, how had this happened? How had this total change happened for these guys? And that's what you read in the rest of it, verses, oh, from verses 4 to 7. If you just want to um, cast your eye down to there, he says, Paul says, We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, we hear a lot of words, don't we? 
especially on Sunday morning when the preacher goes over time. Right? You, you hear a lot of words. I heard one estimate, estimate um, that uh, you uh, I hear up to as many as 30,000 words a day, okay? and probably just increasing and muddied by the incredible access that we have to information. I mean, it's incredible, right? Exhausting. Limitless information at our thing. I can put... I can get my phone out of my pocket and give you an answer to just about any question that you ask me instantly because I've got access to just phenomenal, right, this, uh, the words that get flung at us all the time. But every now and again, maybe you've had this experience, every now and again you hear a word that just cuts through it, right, cuts through all the noise and the other words and just floors you, just floors you. If you're old enough, maybe I've heard that um, you know, everyone who heard about JFK's assassination can tell you the, the, the place where they were whenever they heard it. It's sort of just this watershed moment, the world-changing events. Maybe it was Princess Diana's death, uh, 9-11, the Wallabies losing the World Cup final. Uh, these words that come to you <laughs> and floor you, well, yeah, you know, change life forever. <laughs> they cut through the noise of all the other words. Uh, this is kind of like that, I think, but do you get, you get the sense it's on a totally different level, right? A totally different level. The gospel word came to them and transformed their lives. It wasn't just another word they heard. It came with power. It came with God's spirit, his own personal presence at work in them. It came uh, with deep conviction. It had gripped their hearts. Well, this word had transformed their lives, but it didn't stop there, did it? This transforming word we read rang out from them. It's a bit like a soundboard of an instrument. My guitar there, if you stretch a string along the same tension and you just pluck it, uh, it's exactly the same sort of resonance frequency or something, I don't quite understand it, but you don't get it nearly as loud, but you put a soundboard, you attach it to a soundboard, the, <laughs> uh, and it just, it takes what, it, what the vibrations of the string and resonates it out, amplifies it, <laughs> explodes it out again. So it's kind of like that, I think, this, they'd been, they had been struck, <laughs> these Thessalonians, they'd been struck, and they were resonating with the gospel uh, and they couldn't help but sound it out, be a sounding board for it, a soundboard for it, to amplify it out. It had a huge impact. Did you read that? Did you pick that up as we read through? The Lord's message rang out from you, verse 8, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, that's sort of the local provinces, your faith in God has become known everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This had a huge impact, this word that came to them. It, it could never be the exclusive word of the inner ring. And verse 9 and 10, you see the kind of another insight 
we've, you know, at the start of uh, when Paul gives thanks, he, he mentioned the way that the, the word had given, had worked in them, faith and hope and love. Nine and ten, you get another insight into just how radical a transformation this word had made in their lives. Uh, it had transformed them. They, it, it made them just stand out, stand out from everyone around them. Right? They they turned from idols. We read in verse nine. They'd stopped worshipping what the people around them worshipped. They'd stopped worshipping what the people around them worshipped. And we're all worshippers. Everyone worships something. They turned from the idols of the culture around them to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. This word rang out from them. And you see how it rings out, not just as a word, but in their lives as well. It's never less than a word. It is a word, a, a word that needs speaking. But it rang, out, it rang out through the way they lived, through the way that this gospel had transformed their lives. It had gripped them and made them new. The word rang out to them, from them. People started to notice how different they were. They didn't anxiously serve the hungry and never satisfied gods of their culture. They knew that they were loved by God. They didn't need to restlessly prove themselves or anxiously try and protect themselves. You notice that? They could wait. They could wait because of the hope they had. They could wait for his son from heaven. The gospel... This gospel that was anchored in the past event of Jesus' death and resurrection, it gave them a conviction about the future. It showed them it showed them that there is a coming day of wrath for all who would reject God's rule. It showed them that not only was there a coming day of wrath, But there is a wonderful rescuer, a wonderful rescuer from that wrath, Jesus. And knowing that meant that they received this message, that they bring it out across their region. They received it and they received it with joy. Did you read that? With joy, even in the midst of great suffering, even though it would mean suffering for them. They received it with joy. Friends, it's an incredible picture, isn't it, of the way this explosive gospel rang out from, uh, from Jesus himself uh, across the region. It rang out to the Thessalonians through, uh, through Paul's ministry and it gripped them and transformed their lives and then they rang it out to their community, their, not just their local community, but that they became known everywhere for this, the way this word gave them new life and faith and transformed them. But just where we just need to spend a bit of time as we kind of draw things up together and wrap things up, but we need to think, friends, about our own ringing out. What's going to stop us from being an inner ringist church? to being a ringing out church. 
What's going to change us from that? What will keep us from that kind of ugly inward focus? Or, to put it in again Luther's terms, what will stop us from being blasphemers and betrayers of Christ who is our head, who gave himself up for the salvation of this world? There's a few things that we're trying to do next year. I'm going to briefly flag those before we finish up. As a church, uh, we'd we'd like to take seriously the responsibility that we have to make plans and sort of to uh, think carefully about how we can engage with the South Coast and see this life-giving word of Christ ring out. Um, Just in a couple of weeks' time, we've got a a three-week series that's kind of designed to answer maybe some big questions that... um, uh, that people you know might have or that anyone uh, might have, some big questions about life. Uh, and you've got a flyer in your hand out there and there's more up the back table if you want to take some spares to maybe give to some friends. Um, so that's, that's sort of one thing. Into next year, um, well, uh, a couple of the highlights for next year, we're planning a, an Easter, a combined Easter um, uh, event across the whole Trinity network. So... Each of the Trinity churches is going to be doing the same um, topics and the same sort of thing around Easter as an opportunity to really get the word out there about uh, what we're doing, uh, about the the message of Easter, the the real news of Easter. That will be a great thing to make the most of. Uh, There's other things that we have planned. We mentioned last week uh, the plans for a kids' club in the first holidays of the, the, the year. Um, a number of short gospel uh, introduction outline courses we're hoping to run. That's sort of on a, a bigger level. But we also really want our home groups themselves, our home groups, um, to be shaped by this same DNA about what church is. Uh, this same DNA, not only as groups that grow up in maturity, but that, that seek to ring out the gospel as well. Um, uh, some of our home groups this year have been thinking about how to do that. And it's kind of, especially for those of us who've been in quite different sorts of groups, it's a bit awkward or odd sometimes to think, how can we as a group have this outward focus? Uh, but well worth it, right? Well worth it. And really a great opportunity for smaller groups to do more outward-focused things. Some of our groups are... Well, you've got uh, one thing in your hand out there. The Friday group is planning to set aside a week to pray for the gospel going out. And if you'd like us to pray for you, please um, fill in, I think it's the yellow kind of slip in your hand out. Other groups are doing letterboxing, putting on morning teas to invite people to, that sort of thing. Just encouraging things for us to keep, to to just keep... (laughs) uh, protecting ourselves from being inner ringist Christians uh, to keep this outward focus. Um, but of course, it's, you know, uh, there's one thing to put, have structured things, but this is, you get the sense in here, there's lots of organic stuff happening, right? What happens when, what happens when you're convicted by the gospel and you want it to ring out? Um, a, couple of, uh, a, a couple of things... Um, uh, there's, a, there's a great book by some guys who uh, uh, come from England called Tim Chester and Steve Timmis. You might have heard of them, maybe. Uh, they've written a book and they, it's called uh, Everyday Church, which is all about how to do everyday evangelism. 
uh, for Christians in their everyday life. And they recommend things like um, eat, eating with, just eating with people, <laughs> just, eat, just eating, eating with friends and family who don't know Christ. Um, maybe you could walk instead of driving, if that's a possibility for you. Uh, just to have an opportunity, not, not for you guys, obviously, but uh, th- their point is be a part of your local community, walk places rather than get in the car and drive just two minutes down the street. Why don't you walk and try and make the most of your opportunities? Be a regular, um, be a regular wherever you, know, you go, get to know the checkout people. These are just t- uh, you know, some, some different ideas, right? Uh, do hobbies with non-Christians. So just talk to your co-workers, don't sort of isolate yourself off in your booth or whatever it is. Uh, they recommend you know, they, uh, volunteering with non-profits, participating in events around. It's not rocket science, right? Being part of a community, being part of a community, uh, an outward focus. But one way that we're hoping to help this uh, happen is we've come up with a list of all the local groups. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have it today, but I'm going to send it out in the church email this week. So if you aren't on the church email list... Um, pop a little note in the bags later on and I'll put you on. Uh, but just a list of all the South Coast community groups um, that maybe you could have a look through and say, I just, you, you realise I just don't know any people who don't know Jesus. Maybe I could think about... I mean, we don't want to spend... As a, we don't want to, as a church, spend so much time doing church stuff that you aren't able to connect with your community um, and to be part of this. You know, it's sort of a balance either way. But that's one idea. Okay, look, there's some, some things for next year. That, that's not really what I want to talk about, though, and what I want to finish on, because uh, it's essential, I think, that we finish and we focus on where Paul finishes here, or where he, really, where he starts here. And you can't talk about amplifying this word if it's not a word that hasn't struck you first. It hasn't struck you. It hasn't come to you, not just with words, but that has come to you with power and the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Without this, any program that we might run, any sort of strategy we might create, any encouragement, it might produce dutiful service. It might. Uh, It will likely create guilt or pride, one or the other, depending on how good you are at it but not the kind of joyful gospel witness that the Thessalonians had. So, friends, has this word come to you with this, not just as a word, but with this kind of transforming power? You can only gospel if you've been gospeled. (laughs) If you've been gospeled. Uh, Tim Keller, an American sort of uh, preacher, he tells a story of a guy who... A very serious young Christian man who, in the church he was in, uh, there was a really intense expectation for continuous evangelism. Uh, on one level, a really good thing, you know, taking seriously this. But it, it was a deep burden for this guy because he just was no good at, uh, and he was deeply burdened by his own um, fear and inadequacy. And he went and asked someone, uh, a friend, a, a pastor friend about it. He went and sort of talked to him and the, the pastor... Uh, said to him, well, they had a conversation. Um, and then a few weeks later, 
uh, apparently, this, uh, so this story that Keller tells goes that he, uh, everyone around him noticed this difference about this guy, and he was just kind of come alive, and um, he's sort of uh, uh, sharing the gospel with friends, and he'd really trans- been transformed. And someone said to this pastor he talked to, "What, what did you say to this guy? What, 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 what changed with him?" He, he said, "Oh, the, he came and talked to me about all this, and, he, and I just told him, don't worry, Jesus will love you just as much anyway.'" And he said, "I told him he didn't have to." <laughs> Do you get the time? He, he told him the gospel. He told him the gospel. And so that wasn't, he didn't force or induce guilt or expectation, but in the freedom of the gospel, you are a loved child of God anyway. Jesus will love you. His love isn't dependent on how evangelistic effective you are. He'll love you anyway. It only comes this freedom uh, comes when this word has come to you in power and in Holy Spirit and deep conviction when it is a word of life to you. Uh, When it is a word of life that you know it came when you didn't deserve it, it came when you didn't want it, that has nothing to do with how good or how bad you are, but is a wonderful free gift from God the God who made you and loves you, and the Lord who gave his life for you. So, as friends, some of us, maybe, maybe for some of us, that we're still kind of thinking through this word, this message of the gospel, and uh, how it sort of applies, what, what, what's going on with it. Uh, there's a difference, though, between kind of um, thinking about a word and it coming with power. See, this word comes with power when you realise that you're not just reading a word, you're being read by it. You're not just sort of weighing and evaluating the claims of Christianity. You realise you're being weighed and you're being judged by it. When the coming reality of God's wrath against all of humanity's wickedness, against their rebellion against him, when that becomes not just a theory but a living word that strikes you. When the news that while God is committed to his creation and will judge all that is evil, he is ultimately, his is ultimately a heart of love who entered his creation, who didn't give up on it, who entered his creation in Jesus, who died to take our judgment, our place, so we could be rescued When that news is life and health and peace to you. We're going to sing a song at the end of the service that speaks of this word as life and health and peace. Um, But friends, maybe if that's you, you know that you're not quite there yet. I just encourage you to pray. Pray with me after at the end of this service, a sermon, um, to pray about it. God's offer is free and it's there to be received. Maybe for the first time that'll change your life like it did for the Thessalonians, to sort of change it for good. Uh, maybe, though, for those of us who have just lost the sweetness of this word in our own lives, that find yourself more driven by duty than delight. Wherever you're at, this is the most important word. It is a word for the world. It is a word for the South Coast. It is a word apart from which... This community is facing a terrible day 
of wrath, but which is freely offered rescue in Jesus. Freely offered rescue in Jesus. Being soundboards for the gospel, loudspeakers for Jesus, friends. That is at the core of what it means to be a church, to be the body of Christ. And if it's going to ring out across the south coast, it needs to ring out into our lives, into your life. Uh, Not only once, but over and over again as we are gripped by it, as we turn away from the idols of our culture, so we receive it with joy in the midst of suffering. In a moment, we're going to um, share in the Lord's Supper, a, a symbolic meal that speaks of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Perhaps for you this is an opportunity to just reignite something of your own joy in the midst of suffering in this word, this marvellous, incredible word of the gospel. Perhaps for you it's an opportunity, maybe even not to take the bread and juice as they're passed around, but just to spend the time if you maybe you know that you're not part of this body of Christ, this word hasn't come to you, it is just a word. Uh, we're so glad you're here, but uh, maybe it's an opportunity for you to do business with the Lord today, to joyfully let go of your rebellion against him and to receive his forgiveness freely offered to you. Wherever you're at, uh, that's up to you for, for you uh, to discern before God. But let's um, I'll pray for us and then we'll share in the Lord's Supper together. Father, please um, examine and test our own hearts. And we do pray for each of us in this room today, for many, many people across the South Coast, that you might so work in our hearts that this word will become alive for us again and again, and maybe even for some for the first time, that it will be a word that speaks with power to us and that gives us a deep conviction that transforms our lives. Father, equip us, we pray. We thank you for the way that this has happened for many of us and we know that that is just a sign of your wonderful grace. We rejoice in that. Please help us, Father, to continue to turn from the idols of our culture to serve you, our living and true God. We pray that from this church, this message of the gospel will ring out and uh, transform many lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.